Real. Intimate. You are now tuned into Bonnets and Durags, a Pillow Talk podcast. I'm your host, Via Simone. Let's get into it. Hey, what's going on, world? It's your girl, Simone, and you are now tuned in to another episode of Bonnets and Durags, a Pillow Talk podcast. Temperature check. How are y'all feeling? I, for one, am feeling stressed, but relieved, because the last time we spoke, we talked about the election, and honestly, for the last week, I had no idea where we were going to end up. But when we got that news on Saturday morning... Honestly, like I just felt like a a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. I was, it was like 11.30. I just woke up not too long ago. I'm hearing honking and cheering and screaming outside. And I'm like, yo, is somebody, somebody getting proposed to? Like, what's, what's up? What's happening? I looked outside. I didn't see anybody on their knees. I didn't see anyone hugging and kissing. And I was like, okay, something going on. And then I immediately went and was like, oh my gosh, let me look at my Apple News app. And I saw that it said Joe Biden has become president-elect and I broke down. I started crying. <laughs> I literally started crying. And I really think it was just because it's that the, that sense of relief, like I said, of not having this trash president in office for another four years. Like, he really messed us up. And like, I'm just so looking forward to rebuilding this country and holding Biden and Harris accountable for the work that they are going to do or they say that they're going to do in the next four years. And also the emotion that came with that too is the fact that like, wow, this was like such a a big winning moment for so many people. And especially for, you know, Kamala Harris being the first black person that is a VP in this nation, a black woman at that, an Indian woman at that, a Jamaican woman at that, a woman who is a part of the D9, a part of Divine 9, an AKA at that, an HBCU grad at that. Like there are just so many factors and I'm just like, wow, this is, this is, this is huge. I I absolutely and my, my heart is full. I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of history. I'm so happy that America decided to get back on the right track of history, even though it was close, even though it was close. But you know what? I, I'm excited for what's to come. I'm excited and, and you know, I, I feel a, a sense of, I, I don't even have another word for it, a sense of relief. Yeah, like I just feel relieved to know that I can step into year 28 and live years 28 to 32 having a little bit more uh peace and comfort and and what's to come so i hope y'all are also excited um about what's to come um you know from the results of this election um i know that trump is being a hard ass and is not trying to concede and it's just it just go continues to show these people who who voted for trump or who are trump supporters like i don't i just don't understand how you can you can be supportive of a person like this who's a, a hard-headed asshole like i just i don't get it but i i think we're going to be good um but yeah that's how i'm feeling also too i um have been working over time on this project that is like near and dear to my heart and so I have been you know working on this idea for new merch this merch that I have been working on has been in I want to say it's been a year in the making of really just like kind of conceptualizing and really just trying to figure out how I want to 
you know, um, release this, this launch, how I want to roll it out. And over the last couple of months, I really have been, you know, doing some, some research and designing and figuring out a marketing plan and, um, you know, reaching out to you, a vendor who's a, a good friend of mine, um, who can actually, you know, help, help me build, build this out and bring this to life and, you know, pulling in, uh, other friends who are models and pulling in other friends who are photographers and just really like, you know, bringing this to life. And I'm just, I'm so excited to, to share it with you. I, um, will be ending this season on November 22nd. So that'll be the last episode. Um, but to coincide with that episode, um, I will be releasing the merch. I'm not going to share the concept with you just yet, but just know that it is absolutely beautiful and you are going to feel so full and so honored and so appreciated from it. Um, and I, I just, I can't wait to share it with you. So then the last episode of the season will be launching on November 22nd. The merch, the new merch will be launching on November 22nd. And honestly, in the meantime, if you, if you go on my website, bonnetsanddurags.com, sign up for my email newsletter because I'll share the, uh, the episode and the, the launch uh, with you ahead of time. So I want to make sure that you are on my email list and that you get that, that content first and that exclusive content. I want to, I want to take care of y'all, especially as, as listeners. Thank you so much for rocking with me and being patient with me, especially as I, you know, kind of just, just go through the motions and really just try to like get a handle on, on this brand and how I'm scaling and, you know, what I, what I want to build from this and the legacy I want to create from this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being patient with me and, you know, staying around and and listening, um, all throughout the season and, and past seasons as well. Okay. So let's get into this episode. So we are talking about interracial dating and relationships. Um, you know, a couple months ago, I had put out on the timeline, like, all right, y'all, who's ready to talk about this? Because it's one of those things that's always been like an elephant in the room. And especially on social media, you know, uh, especially as a black community, we, we have our, our select thoughts about interracial dating and relationships and you know, I think that there was it, there was a, a, a moment that we needed to have an honest conversation around all of those different perspectives. Um, so I brought three of my friends on, uh, Bridget, who, and they all, um, you know, like I said, are, come from different perspectives. So Bridget is actually in an interracial relationship with a white man. So we talked to her about that. Uh, you know, Catherine is a product of an interracial relationship, but she actually has opposing views on it, um, especially when it comes to appropriation and, you know, the removal and the erasure of black women. So it's interesting to hear from a biracial woman how she feels about that. And Johnny, um, who is actually, you know, against interracial relationships. And, and I mean, you'll just have to listen, listen more to, to hear, you know, his reasoning for that. But I wanted to make sure that I brought three different individuals into the room to share their unique perspectives on this one topic. I mean, you know, obviously interracial dating and relationships are not new. Many of us are, are byproducts of interracial um, relationships willingly. And unfortunately, if you're black American unwillingly. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think that it's important for, for us to kind of just really have, you know, like I said, like honest dialogue around it. So yeah, I feel like I'm talking in circles. Let's just go ahead and get into the episode. I'm really excited for y'all to hear it. I've recorded this a couple of weeks ago, but you know, now is like the perfect time to, to share this with you all. And yeah, enjoy.
Hi guys, how are you? Doing well. Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about this topic. This topic's near and dear to my heart because I have experiences in all aspects of interracial dating and relationships. So, you know, before we get into it, I, I just wanted to let the audience know that this is a top, this is a special topic in the sense of that we have an individual, we have individuals who have different perspectives of this this said topic. So we have someone who is currently in a relationship, in a multiracial relationship, someone who is a product of an interracial relationship and someone who is against it. So this is an open-minded judge-free zone. We wanna make sure that it stays that way, but I, I'm really excited about how this, how this is gonna play out. So welcome, thank you again for coming. Thank you for having us, Simone. Yeah. Yes, thank you for letting me speak. Of course. Yeah. So if we would just want to kind of go around the room, um, everyone just tell the people who you are, what you've got going on, where people can find you on social media, all that good stuff. Great. Bridget, you want to go? Yes, I will go. Hey, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Simone, for having us. I'm always trying to get on podcasts because, you know, I'd be talking a lot. Um, I'm Bridget. I'm a strategist based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a native Californian and also uh, born and raised in Italy for some time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Bridget with two E's because someone stole the one E. And I'm excited <laughs> to delve in into this conversation. And thank you all again for having me. Of course. Happy to have you. Go ahead, Johnny. Yes, um, I'm Johnny. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, super excited to be here. Thank you, Simone, for letting me speak on this uh, important, controversial topic. Um, also, also thankful to be uh, at the male opinion here. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can only find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Johnny John. It's with two ends in Johnny and in John. Um, it's the only platform I use. So, no Instagram, no Snapchat. Um, never had a Snapchat. I'm okay. taking extended delay from the gram right now. Um, okay. Maybe I'll be back to 2021. We'll see. <laughs> I like happy to have you here. And go ahead, Catherine. I'm Catherine, born and raised Queens, still residing in Queens. I work in tech and I am the founder of at Black Men Cry 2, 200. And you can find me on Instagram at RetroBarbie92. Yes, so excited for this. So let's just jump right into it. So, well, let's let's touch on current events. So has any have you all heard about the um, recent situation with Jonathan Price? I don't think so. We're going to need an update for that. Yeah, so uh, that... You've heard about yeah, it, Johnny? I, well, I I read a couple tweets today, but I didn't get time to really do my research. But it seems like another black man that was who mm -hmm. shares the same name as me, mm -hmm. um, Jonathan, killed by the police. Um, but I, I think he was like trying to he was like a helpful person or trying to do something well. I really didn't get to read all the details. If you could enlighten us, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, no, he was trying to de-escalate a situation in, in Texas. Um, yeah, no, so right. unfortunately, another unarmed black man being murdered by the police. It's, it's crazy out here, but the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because there's an interesting take that's coming, that's been brought about from his death, his unfortunate death um, that social media has, has found on his Facebook, but um, for everyone who isn't informed or doesn't know about Jonathan Price, I'll go ahead and read a segment 
that I pulled from Philip Lewis's um, weekly newsletter called Per My Last Email. So it says, Jonathan Price, a 31-year-old Black man who vocally supported the police, was shot and killed by police in Texas while reportedly trying to defuse a domestic violence situation at a gas station. I learned about Price's killing through a tweet that read, imagine posting this and then being killed by the police yesterday. OMG. His death sparked controversy online about Black people who publicly support the police and how they're susceptible to still the reality, to still experiencing the realities of systemic racism and policing. As of now, Wolf City police officer Sean Lucas has been arrested and charged with murder and reportedly posted his million dollar bail or bond. Um, so what they're talking about in the tweet is, I guess over the summer in June, he had went on this whole rant about how he doesn't understand how black people can like be complaining about racism and, and police brutality. That's not, that hasn't been his experience. He was raised around white people. And actually he was saying that like white people are responsible for his love for country and addiction to white women. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so when, when, you know, when Twitter got a hold of that, they were like, mm, Oh, well, that's another one bites the dust. And so, what I wanted to pose to you all is like, you know, of, of course he had controversial and radical thoughts about, um, you know, black people, racism, systemic racism, police brutality, interracial dating. But don't you think that he would still, des- he still deserves justice? So it's, it's, it's just, it's me, I think he does because it's like, you can't, just because someone feels a certain way about, about, about a certain race. I mean, he was out of pocket for being like, oh, well, that hasn't been my experience because it seems like he's trying to create this erasure yeah. that of, of a black individual's experience in America. But it's like, I still believe he deserves justice. And yeah. uh, I think uh, some uh, of the timeline disagrees. <laughs> of, of course he does. I, in my opinion, oh, he sounds like a coon. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. Ronnie went there. still, yeah, <laughs> I, I would be breaking out the raccoon memes and all that. But um, he still doesn't deserve what, what happened to him. He, even Jacob Blake, they, they said he was fighting some sexual assault charges at the time. And um, yeah. of course, I want to don't send my condolences to the victim or whatever happened with that. But still, it doesn't he doesn't deserve to get shot seven times in the back and still be um, potentially paralyzed. So the same for this guy. I I think it's hard for a lot of people to speak on something that they haven't dealt with personally, right? So like when that's not your personal experience, you kind of become ignorant to it all. And I don't I don't blame him for that. I just call people like that coons. They're just lost. Like until yeah. they take the time to unlearn and self educate, then um, that that that's going to be their their point of view. Yeah, I totally hear that. And I think what's very prominent is that you always have white folks and the media looking for situations and reasons for why Black men and Black women and Black trans people should be killed. And I understand the sentiment of Black Twitter finding this out because I think a lot of us understand the history behind Black men, you know, not wanting Black women and what the history of that has looked like and also the history of um, you know, the patriarchy and white supremacy painting Black men against any sort of, like, woman itself, right? And so the way in which we've seen Black men for the dawn of time since, you know, we've we've been, we've been forced to this country, you will always, like, you as in media will always find ways to pit Black people, especially Black men, against the media. And so it's unfortunate for me to hear that they found a reason or, or some sort of um, thought to be like, oh, well, 
you know, you deserve it because at the end of the day, nobody, particularly a black and brown body, deserves to be shot and killed. Right. Time. So for me, I and I think I completely uh, agree with you, Johnny. Like when you don't have that experience, um, ASAP Rocky, you are going to be right now. You went there. <laughs> You know, what did he say about not feeling like he understands like the low income black community? And then, boom, you in the and you in jail. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you don't have that. I live in Soho. Period. You know, once you experience, <laughs> you are ignorant to it, but it doesn't justify your death. Right. Right. It almost right. sounds like um, when you think about Fresh Prince and like a lighter way to think about the situation and how Carlton was so ignorant to the fact of like racism does yeah. exist and they were being pulled over because they were black and they were trying to like beat it in his head. Like there is no reason behind this. It's just because we're black. Right. And like you were saying, Bridget, yeah. it's on, and Johnny as well, it's unfortunate that the media, as soon as it's a black person, they're like, what can we do to diminish this person's character just because of the strength Absolutely. that they were black? Think about Trayvon Martin. He was a mm-hmm. hoodie because he had a hoodie on. A mm-hmm. hoodie. This is hoodie season. We all wear hoodies. But a hoodie, right. they were using that and middle fingers being put up in his photos to take right. away from the fact that a 17-year-old boy just lost his life. Right. Gone in. Be gone in. It's a it's a tried and true formula in media, unfortunately. Um, whether it with the, whether it's in a media outlet or even on social media from our peers. Um, yeah, it's really imp- unfortunate. Rest in peace to Jonathan Price. But Yeah, so Catherine, I did want to start with you because you told me that you are a product of an interracial relationship. Um, So I wanted to talk to you about your experience growing up in a multiracial household and how your peers treated you, you know, maybe even some of your life partners or, or people that you've been romantically with. So run us through like how your experience has been navigating the world as an interracial, as a multiracial individual. Uh, it was, it's interesting. So my father is Italian, so I have a white father. My mother is West Indian and she's a West Indian immigrant. So like I was there when she became a citizen. Um, and I think, you know, being young, you don't realize you're different. And I was realizing I'm different more so growing up in school, but I was lucky to be amongst a class in my private school that was the most diverse class. So diversity was just normal to us. But silly things like when it's time to put in your race, I don't know if you guys remember back then, there was no other, there was no biracial, there was no mm-hmm. multiracial. So now I'm sitting there with an identity crisis, like, well, do I put black? Do I put white? Do I put both? Do I put other? Am I an other? Like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember one time when I was with my mom and someone, like, I was, I'm white, clearly, but I was a little bit lighter as a child. And someone asked my mother if she was my nanny. And I remember oh, being, wow. I was like in the second grade and I remember being so confused. So I was in the second grade getting that race conversation with both of my parents. Like they realized, okay, now is the time we need to talk to her about race because she's going to grow up into this world and you need to understand you're black and you're white, but these are some things that are going to come. And then my parents even told me about like stories when they were dating, my parents are a little bit older. So during that time, just them being out in public would repulse people. And they had to deal with that. And I've had serious conversations with both of them about what their experience was like, just so I can appreciate the fact of me being a product and me standing up and speaking out. But growing up, I just didn't really appeal to my father's side. So I don't really attract them too much. So I never really had much of an experience dating Caucasian men. Um, So I typically was always gravitated towards 
black men, Hispanic men, and I also was closer to my mother's side of the family. So I grew up amongst West Indians, Caribbeans, black people. So that's what I know and that's what I look like. So that's the first thing people identify. Like people will look at me and be like, are you black or are you mixed or are you Spanish? So I always had to correct it, but I always had to remind people or tell people I'm biracial first. Mm. I identify more as a black woman. So I speak more on black issues. And at the end of the day, if I'm pulled over and I have been in you know situations with police officers and seen my own police report, and they just identify me as a black woman. Meanwhile, my last name is right there and it's Italian as hell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's been my experience growing up. Yeah. So growing up with your white family members, what were like, how were they, how were they treating you? You were saying that you didn't really appeal or appease them. It's, it was a little bit different. So I, we weren't disowned, nothing of that nature. My grand, my father's mother was very big and like she, She's an Italian, like fierce woman. So no one was messing with her or her grandbabies. And she was just happy to have a grandbaby. Um, but my father just wasn't that close to his family because for his own personal reasons. Okay. So I didn't really grow up around them, but I had my grandmother right next door. So I knew my heritage from my grandmother, but nobody in my family treated me or my mother differently, but they just were spoon fed, like that silver spoon in their mouth. I don't mm-hmm. identify as that, like... My parents are middle class working parents. Your parents want us to stay at home. You got a Porsche for your 15th birthday. Like our lives are different. So I can't really identify with you to that level. Yeah, no, that's true. How, so how has your experience been like when, when it comes to like your peers going through school, your dating life? So you're saying that you kind of err more on the side of like your, your black and Caribbean roots. Is that reflective of like your friend groups? your life partners or people you've been with? A hundred percent. I think it wasn't until I went away to college and I went to college in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and I went to a PWI. And because of that was the, was the first time that I got experience of being treated like, oh, wait, you guys never grew around black people. This is new. Or having teachers, there's two black people in the class and you're confusing me with the one, there's only two of us the one other black person. Yeah, yeah. Or we're talking about the civil rights movement. <laughs> hey, Catherine, what do you feel about that? I don't know. Why don't you ask Becky how she feels about yes. it? I'm here. I'm free. Like, stop I asking me these questions. I had so many moments like that in school. <laughs> it was irritating. Oh, my God. And then it translates over into your work life. So you're like, mm-hmm. okay, thankfully we've been um, practiced enough to go through this, but I don't have to continue educating you. It's tiring. Right. And I also don't like the whole... Well, you're also white. Yes, I'm aware. I know who my father is. I know who I am. However, I speak out whatever is wrong and whatever is right. So if what you're doing is wrong and if what you're doing is ignorant, I'm going to call it out. Right. Regardless. Regardless. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. No, you're so right. So then um, also too. So. So. Oh, well, did you want to talk on like partners or, or your dating life before I jump into the next question? I just. I've just never been with a white guy and I just don't see it happening in my future. I do okay. see marrying a black man. That is something that I would like to bring black children into this world and mm-hmm. raise black children in this world as hard as it, as it is, as scary as it is. That is my goal is to create products, healthy products and go against like all this generational trauma and curses. I want to be a part of the change. So that's my standpoint. Absolutely. Okay. I got a question. 
um, Catherine, have you ever spoken to your mom about why she chose to um, to marry my father? Or, yeah, procreate with an Italian man. So we've had that conversation. Um, they're very humorous when they talk about each other. She said, well, if I'm going to be with a white man, it's going to be a swaggy white guy. And my father was in a band. You know, he enjoyed his cannabis and all that. He was a swaggy man back then. I give her that. He had his curly fro. It was mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> but it was because of the fact that they were friends work. He was actually her boss, which I, like, learned recently. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. <laughs> Mom, you was great a boss? This is cool. <laughs> But because of the fact that they learned and grew together and like learned each other. And my mother was already a mother when she met my father. So here's this man, like I'm here and I want to date you, even though you have a child and the child's father's not in her life. Mm. That alone, you know, for my mom, they, they're soulmates. They're weird, but they work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she never really thought twice about it. it just, it just happened. Yeah. She didn't expect herself to be with a white man, but at the end of the day, you love who you love, you fall in love with who you fall in love with, and that so happened to be their story, which is also my standpoint, too. I fall in love with who I fall in love with, but I'm hoping it's a black man to make it to the end. (laughs) I was going to say, how do your parents feel about you saying that you want to procreate with a black man? You You want to strengthen your legacy. How do they feel about that? They um they don't really care too much. Um, they are, again supportive. Just find someone who loves you for you and takes care of you properly. Um, my father is the only person I really had that conversation with because I didn't want uh-huh. him to feel like, hey, I'm trying to disown this part of my family or disrespect you or disregard you. He again being very humorous. Um, when he moved me into college, he saw me like talking to some of the white guys at my school, and he's like, you know, other white men. So at this point, he knows what to expect. He's been around my friends. He Again, he's raised his nephews, his nieces. So he just wants someone to treat me right. So if anybody out there wants to treat me right. <laughs> Hit her line. Yes. On my Instagram. I love that. That part. Now, Catherine, I wanted to um, ask you about light skin privilege, because I know that's something that has been deemed in our community, in our Black community. Do you feel like you've you've felt the effects of this privilege? And if you have, can you talk talk to us about that? I didn't realize how much that was a thing until I went to high school and mm-hmm. girls were telling me, oh, he only wants to talk to you because you're light skinned. And I was like, mm, or maybe you're a bitch because right now that was a bitch thing to say, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> That's cool. Um, but I don't think I've ever recognized or realized how colorism can affect within our own community, especially within our women because of the fact my mother is a dark skinned woman. My sister, who is biologically technically my half-sister, is a dark-skinned woman. So I've always, you know, watched, protected, been around dark-skinned women, but I just happen to be light-skinned. But I have heard statements like that. You know, you still hear stuff like that, but I always correct people. Like, you can't call me a light-skinned woman. I'm a biracial woman. Like, what do you expect? I'm also half-white. I'm not going to get that much melanin. Come on, guys. (laughs) It's not until the summer comes around. But that has been a thing and it unfortunately is a reality, but I take that serious for myself to stand up for any dark skinned woman because at the end of the day, that's my mother, that's my right. sister, that's my aunt, that's my cousin. Right. Period. I love that. I love that. Bridget, so you know, as a as a dark skinned woman, how has your experience been navigating this world? Navigating this world or navigating dating? So let's let's start, let's let's start holistically with the world. Like how you growing up how it's been for you in school, your household, and then we gonna dive into dating. That's a great question. So as I mentioned before, I was actually born in Italy. So what's up, Catherine? We Italian sisters. 
Um, and for a very long time, when I moved to the US at the age seven, like I was walking around speaking my Italian and I only knew three words in English, which was yes, no, and hamburger. Oh, and wow. <laughs> I was taught very early that I was black because I was walking around telling folks that I was Italian and they're like, no, you're not. You're black. And I was like, no, I'm Italian. because I, I wasn't raised or taught, you know, at such a young age that you're just African, right? I'm from yeah. Africa. My parents were like, you are Ghanaian and Italian, but I was so excited and I didn't know why we were in the U S to begin with. So I was really proud of my Italian heritage. And so it was told very, very early on in elementary school, I was forced to reconcile and recognize that my dark skin was in most cases, sometimes a threat to people. And I was already, it, it, they had a perpetuated idea of what dark skinned women and African women would be like and would sound like. So I would say that a lot of my early elementary, middle school and high school days, um, I was you know, a target um, and a victim of bullying because I didn't fully understand my identity as a African Italian third culture young kid. I also didn't fully understand the full history behind racism and the transatlantic straight, uh, slave trade. I, I didn't understand that. And it wasn't until I went into college and I actually majored in black studies and feminist studies and was able to do a bigger deep dive into the culture and the history and was really able to go, okay, I am a black woman who has Ghanaian descent, who has African heritage, who is a third culture kid who you know, also has a lot of Americanization. But it was really hard for me to feel confident in my skin as a dark skin black woman, especially because in California, if y'all have ever been, the sun hits a lot harsher in California than it does in the East Coast. So my skin now is milk chocolate. What it was in California was a dark hazelnut. And mm -hmm. that was looked upon, like looked against upon. My mother would be like, you got to come inside during, during, during uh, summer days. Wow. And I was like, I don't know why. And you could, you would notice too, because of my face structure, the, the lower parts of my face would be darker because of the way my face hates the sun. And my parents would continuously comment on that, not because they had they, they were, you know, like, you, you don't look beautiful, but they had their own internalized colorism that they learned in Africa that they have inherited and were like, you're not going to get a man if you look like this. You wow. know, that was their way of trying to protect me. So I have a lot of, I've had to relearn a lot of internalized colorism that I brought from Italy that I learned from my parents and then had to unlearn in college at the same time trying to date folks within my community. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think the colorism is as prevalent in, in Italy as it is in America? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the colorism in Italy is a lot different in a way that it is in the U.S. For example, in Italy, their own, you know, Italian ethnic group yeah. are races within each other. So northern yeah. and southern. Catherine is like, yup, because the folks, you know, that are, you know, uh, in, the, in southern Italy, like Sicily, Sicily, they're like olive toned, which mm -hmm. for us in America, you're tan. But mm -hmm. to Italians, that olive toned skin is so closely correlated to Africans that there is racism within their own ethnic group. That's insane. insane. Girl, tell me about it. And then you have Africans who are migrating, North and West Africans, sometimes East Africans who are migrating to Italy for a better future. And you already have deeply rooted racism from Europe already against Africans. So mm -hmm. I think what I learned very early on 
was that my parents told me when you're a black like child in Italy, you are fetishized. You are exotic. They love you. Oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. I've never seen a child like this. Principessa Bella. But then the moment you become a teenager and adult, you are now taking resources away. You're no longer welcomed here. And which is why my parents were like, we to get you out of here. Only to find out that, you know, the U.S. already has its own set of deeply rooted racism. Do you think your parents knew that going like heading over here? You know, I think they did. But mm. the way in which we receive the, the, the job that I'm at now and the things that I'm able to do here, I would never have been able to do that mm. in Italy as a black woman. So I think for them, they're like, we're going to sacrifice what we've built here in Italy and our culture and home in Ghana to give our kids a better future. And hopefully from there, they can be able to navigate that own system of structure that they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Speaking of of building in in future, so you have mentioned off the call that like you've been in several interracial relationships. Is there, excuse me? I said, yes, ma'am. Oh, yes. So I, I wanted to ask you, do you think that you were stepping, you have been in these interracial relationships because you feel like you've been shut out or, you know, not desired by your own black men, by black men? That's a great question. And and you, I, I just would love to hear your your perspective on that and how, you know, may, like just wondering if, if you've identified or uh, like tied your value, your sense of value in beauty to to appealing outside of a race because maybe black, you feel like black men may not want you. That's a great question. I think I learned very early on and early in my age that, you know, my skin tone was not desirable Mm. across the stage. And I think also being born in Italy and living in Italy, I realized that there was a whole ethnic group out there that I kind of lost my opportunity to live in. Right. I was I left Italy at seven years old, so I never got to really learn a lot about the European culture. Um, I was also undocumented for about 17 years in the U.S., so I never went back to and I felt that I would center my not center, but I would become friends with the foreign exchange students, because for me, it was insightful and interesting to learn about Europe in a way that I don't remember anymore. Um, and I think that very early, early on in my age, like I tried to date and I, I lived in Fontana, which is predominantly Latinx um, and black folks. And so I tried to date a lot. And what I noticed very early on was that in Fontana, if you were light skinned, particularly Latinx or a white girl mixed with Latinx roots, you are more desirable than the black. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that was a very early thing that I learned about at 10 years old. 11 years old, 12 years old, and that's internalized. And so I I can, first of all, I'm awkward as shit, okay? I'm not really good at flirting. I didn't date until college, like I'm awkward. So I knew that was part of it, but also putting myself out there and Googling how to flirt and trying really hard, I never <laughs> got the opportunity. I never was wanted and I never even knew what being wanted felt like. Um, and I had a lot of failed like tries and I, I had also heard really unfortunate things about my skin tone and me being a black woman from my own black community. And also I think being foreign, I was never black enough. Right. And I was too black for the white kids. So I kind of felt like I was in the middle. I didn't know who wanted me and I wanted everybody. There's a study out there that shows that black women are more open to dating any other race versus the opposite way around. Mm -hmm. Uh And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized that 
unfortunately, not just black men, but also American men were sleeping. They're sleeping on black women because mm-hmm. all the perpetuated stuff that you see in the media, you are sleeping on women, on black mm-hmm. women. And so I think part of it you could say was some sort of like acceptance of being like, who does love black women? Who does like care for me? You know, who is out there? Who's going to treat me? Why do I have to try so hard? Why do I have to have a big ass and a tiny waist and long hair as a black, a dark skinned black woman? Right. You can be light skin and have like short pixie cut and like a tiny waist and tiny butt and you're still looking as this. So valid. Mm-hmm. Right. But for black women, dark skinned black women, I have to be perfect. Yep. And ain't no way I'm going to try to do that for all these different types of races. So I felt like, unfortunately, in my own black community, I felt like more black men were, were hoping that dark skinned women had a particular look to them in order to feel desirable. And I, w- I couldn't, I can't, girl, genetics wise, I'm not going to reach that. Unless mm-hmm. I'm, pregnant, I'm not going to reach that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. That's so real. Cause even I, I consider myself a, a dark skinned, brown skinned black woman too. And I, I've also had that like weird conundrum of like, well, who do I appeal to? Sometimes I feel like black men don't want me, but then I feel like I'm too black for white men. And, you know, so, and, and me personally, I've dated, I think I've dated every race except for um, Indian. And so it's just one of, it's been one of those things where it's like, you know, just really trying to get an understanding of, you know, who you mesh with and whose culture clashes and who you can, and who you can combine with and, you know, what comes from there. But I know that you said that you are currently in an interracial relationship. Spill the tea. Tell us, like, how has that been for you? How long have you been with this person? I would love to hear about that. Yes. Um, so I've been with my partner now for a year and a half. They're from Eastern Europe. Um, and, you know, it's taken us quite a while to get here. But at, with any relationship, it takes time and trust to get there. Um, I feel like, you know, even in my previous dating experiences with like, you know, um, white men or like Latinx men or like black men, I always feel like when you are dating outside of your race, there is a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot to talk about. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of having to be patient with your partner, which I feel like at times when I'm talking about, you know, particular race conversations, I mean, you know, look at me, I'm a black woman, I'm an immigrant, my whole degrees are black studies and feminist studies. Like I'm a walking, you know, debate. And <laughs> think white men, particularly Eastern European men, you know, or European men, they have never really lived in a full uh, world where you, you're you seeing this clash in race against black people. And so there's been a lot of opportunities where we've had to sit down and have these very basic conversations. But aside from that, what has been to me the most beautiful thing about our relationship is the opportunity for me to learn just as much about his culture that he's learning about me and yeah. the openness to learn about me. Like, so I told you I'm Ghanaian. We have a lot of like funny moments where he'll send me those Ghanaian, y'all seen those Ghanaian funeral men that mm-hmm. for COVID, you haven't seen Simone? So Mm-mm. when people pass away in Ghana, particularly West African countries, the funerals aren't sad, they're funny. Like they're dancing, they're celebrating. And he'll send me a couple of videos of that because he knows that <laughs> my family's within that. We've talked about like my, my late grandma has been really funny, like Ghanaian shoes. He'll send me shoes and be like, we gotta get you some new ones. He talks to me about my hair, girl. 
He's really? Like, you know how many conversations we've had about wigs and weaves and braids? He'd be telling me that my edges don't look right. Uh-uh. Well, yeah. let me ask you, does he help you take your braids out? He has I'm going to ask that. He hasn't just yet. <laughs> and I'm telling you this because it's a process and I'm too tired okay. to have people be touching my hair. Okay, so okay. He's not, but he has seen me when I got my cornrows on, my fists <laughs> on. Girl, I, my hair was so short one time. I had my do-rag on and I was like, look, I know I don't look my best. And he's like, you look great. I was like, hold up. You telling me I look good right now? I look messed up with his do-rags. I think just the fact that I'm able to have these conversations with him, knowing damn well that every Black woman knows that hair is that rite of passage. It sure is. Politics behind your hair. <laughs> and for this white man to tell me I look good in my do-rag, hold up. Called. Right. So it's been, you know, such a great experience just like learning so much about him, but also him being so open to my Ghanaian culture and being so open to my black culture and like also being able to have these tough conversations with him. But at the end of the day, he's not going to get it. And that is where sometimes I have, you know, trouble is like he can only get so much. He can only sympathize so much. And, you know, how do we continue having these conversations? How do I get him to be a better ally? Because at the end of the day, like, it's taxing for any Black person to have to explain their experience consistently, you know, especially if you love somebody, because you want to do that. Right, right, exactly. That has been my experience, too. I was in a, I would say my one of my first serious relationships was with a white man. Um, and it was through college. And, you know, I loved him very much, but I just, I could, I could just feel that like I was growing tired of having to constantly explain um, my black experience and, you know, what uh, bringing, like bringing black children into this world would look like. Cause like what you were saying, Catherine, to society, you are a black person, regardless of what your Italian like background is, the world is looking at you as a black woman. And I was trying to get him to understand that, like, you know, that's that's the reality that would be the reality for our family and it's not that he it wasn't he wasn't he's not an all lives matter type of person but he was a very like you know i don't i don't see race i don't see color kind of person and it's like that that that's just not the reality of it you know so it was from those moments that i realized like you know while I'm open to dating outside of my race, I I want to be with a black man. I want to raise a black family. I want to raise black children. Like you said, it 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 can it may be a struggle for us, but it, it's one of those challenges that I'm willing to take on because I want to make sure that I'm raising healthy, productive um, black children in this world going forward. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that, Bridget. And I'm glad to hear that your experience with your man has been has been delightful. Yes, it has. Thank you. Yes, of course. So Johnny, so as the only black male on this on panel, um, I wanted to to tell you that I kind of feel like you're kind of a taboo in our community, sir. You are a black man who is against interracial dating. And that's something that I just kind of have felt like, you know, I would I would never hear. Like there's this this idea that black men are constantly looking outside of our race to to deal with, to be with a woman, a Latino woman, a white woman as a way to kind of, I don't want to say purify, purify is not the word, but really like, you know, create children and offspring that are racially ambiguous, are attractive in, in this weird kind of way. But I wanted to talk to you um, about like, you know, why you you say that you're against interracial dating. 
Um, well, first, I, I disagree. I, I don't think I'm a taboo. I, I think there's plenty of black men that I hang out with or that I know that feel mm-hmm. the same way that I do. <clears throat> um, I, I think like social media might kind Excuse of excuse that. Excuse yeah, that for sure. Yeah, and, yeah. And no, I know. I know. There, there are way more black men who also we see black. a lot of like famous people or or more successful people doing that but yeah. it's like it's not the everyday person like there's not that many rich people out in the world um but for me personally why i feel like i'm against interracial relationships um it's just my pro-blackness speaking out i, I don't believe you could be like a pro-black and really be fully um invested in the advancement of black people if you're going to procreate or marry um someone of uh, another race uh i feel like just black men need to be a black woman uh black women are like the least likely to get married but the most likely to get divorced um and i think if you really care about uh black people being better as a whole then our black men have to marry black women mm-hmm. it's definitely like a contradiction to be committed to the success of black people but also procreating with another race mm-hmm. um so have, that, that's really how i feel i was going to ask you have you had any experiences dating outside of your race <laughs> um i've had like one quick experience with a white woman um a casual hookup yeah you could say okay. a, casual, a casual hookup <laughs> for sure um and I mean, I was interested in in talking to her some more. I was a little bit younger mm-hmm. um, than I am now. It wasn't like super long ago, but um, I was a little bit younger. Um, and I and I probably would have took it further if she was interested. I, I don't think she was, but um, but at, even at that age, I still definitely wouldn't have seen myself like procreating with that person or, or marrying uh, that person. Um, I think it was just like a, a one time thing and just a mutual attraction. Like I'm attracted to all women for sure. I'm not going to see a, a pretty white woman, like, uh, I don't know, Christina Aguilera or something. And I think she's pretty, obviously she's attractive, but that's just not what I want for my future. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, it was a one quick experience. I've never dated anyone, um, from like the Latinx community or, or Asian community. Um, that was the only one quick experience I've had. Mm-hmm. So, ha- so would you say that your family or your community has really influenced your ideals around interracial dating, or is it something that you kind of have just from um, lived in experience? You're just like, uh, I don't actually see myself as a white woman, so I would I, rather. I don't. I don't think my my family has as much um, influence on that. Really, uh, I come from you know a strict Caribbean household, and I don't like Caribbean and African. Um, family members they'll kind of be happy if you come home with like a white man or a white woman. Really? Um, Why do you say it, that? For sure. I mean, I see Catherine and Bridget nodding their head, so maybe they can. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear. As an African American woman, I would love to hear more about that. Well, I I think that Black people as a whole sometimes, especially immigrants, have this idea of success as whiteness, right? Mm. So. Um, when you want to do business, right, you want to get like a Jewish lawyer or you, you, you might want to have like a white business partner, but that's not always true. And I think also just that generation um, of immigrants, right, just the time that they came in, 
it was just you know survival mode let's uh build with the white people or or let's you know it's great if my black daughter gets a white man because that's the idea of success um so i I never really spoken to my i'm not that close to my parents to be honest so like i've never really spoken to them too much about like hey what if i brought like a white woman home um i know my grandmother probably wouldn't like it she's a little old definitely more old school than my parents but i don't i don't really think it, it that's had much of an influence on me um i think it's just my my own ideologies that I, i've just grown up to um to believe in mm-hmm. that's fair Catherine. did you want to weigh in on that i saw you nodding when he was talking about the whole like immigrants coming, um, that was one thing that my mom mentioned as a joke. But then, you know, like jokes always have some underlining. Every joke has a little bit of smoke. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when she went back to Antigua and, you know, she went back to Antigua with her white man, it's, oh, she made it successful. She's going to be good. She's going to be set career wise, family wise. She's going to be protected. She has a white man standing next to her. That is a very big um misconception within the immigrants coming into, well, immigrants of Caribbean and African coming into this country. It's like the same thing with, oh, you're going to America, you must be a doctor, you must be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. for, for sure. And I've, I've dated a few African women, um, like of African descent, and they all tell me like, hey, their parents would love if they brought home um, a white man, you know, to them, that's what they, they see as, uh, you're doing you're doing well you're going to do true but you can get that same um trust and love from from a successful black man yeah bridget did you want to weigh in on that too yeah i mean i i totally understand and agree the sanction of like you know being an immigrant and seeing like whiteness as success we we is, as black people also do certain things that attribute to whiteness as success, like wanting to get a better job, wanting to get great money, wanting to have property. We've also seen that as like a history of like whiteness and success. But I think at the end of the day, I know personally my parents, for them, they were like, we just want someone that loves you. And at the end of the day, like if that's someone that's Indian or black or white, that's fine. We just want someone that loves you. I think my parents more have like a discrimination against their own Ghanaian men because Mm-hmm. y'all would know and my dad was like i'm not doing that for you so i think like you know if anyone my parents were like just don't bring home a Ghanaian man which i love my Ghanaian men i i have more banter with them um than ever but i think that i think the day for them they're like we just want someone who loves you and someone that makes you feel whole um, yeah yeah so um I, I also wanted to ask you too bridget so as a black woman johnny had said that he doesn't think that you can be pro-black and also, you know, be in a interracial relationship. How do you feel about that? I ha- I will say I have seen a lot of discussions about that, and I personally highly disagree because being pro-black does not mean that you only have to procreate blackness, right? Because also every black person themselves is not a hundred percent just black. You have so many mixed ethnicities within you. You could be West African, you could be East African, North African. You have a little pinch of something European, a little pinch of Aboriginal Australian. Really the whole history of like eugenics is to keep this 100% pure race, but there really is no 100% pure race out out in this world. On top of that, I think that there are many other ways to be pro-black that are not just about procreation because 
I think that procreation is beautiful and black children are beautiful and I want to bring black children into this world. Um, and like Catherine is black and she's biracial. And I think that it's important to be able to bring multi-ethnic kids and teach them about their blackness and being proud about their blackness. But I think outside from procreation, you could be pro-black in so many other ways in businesses and education and financial structures. Personally, I think there are bigger and more systematic things that we can dismantle to allow pro-blackness to flourish outside from just procreation. And that's my personal opinion on, on that. Retweet. Yes. Catherine, did you want to weigh in? I mean, I clearly agree with Bridget because of the fact that I am biracial, even though I identify more with being black. Mm -hmm. um, I think what it comes down to as well is like, do you lose yourself? Do you lose your identity if you're in these relationships? And that's what makes me like iffy when I see certain interracial relationships. Um, mm -hmm. as I had mentioned, like, I'm not a fan of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. First of all, I'm not a fan of Kim Kardashian and that whole clan. I'm not, mm -hmm. but they're appropriators. So as a black man, you decided to marry an appropriator and mm -hmm. you're promoting your appropriator. And now you're diminishing black women because of this. And that's mm -hmm. where I have the biggest problem from. You can love who you want to love. Please don't forget where you come from. Please don't forget who your mother is, who your right. father is, who your brothers and who your sisters are. And that's where I feel we have the biggest issue when it comes to interracial dating and like what are you letting your partner who's an other get away with right. or what are you not standing up for and if you're standing up are you standing alone where's your partner why is right. your partner not speaking out why is your partner not being more active of course I'm biased because of how I was grown up with my father but that's what I think makes it so much more personal for myself and especially during these times when we're talking about protect black women so I would typically go against black men if I don't see you standing up for us when we're the first ones standing up for y'all and you're just glorifying white women. That's what I have like the biggest issue with. And that's what I like call out. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. Johnny, how do you feel about that? Um, well, I, I strongly disagree that you can be fully pro-black and still procreate um, with another race. Uh, honestly, you you could look at like Donald Glover, right? And um and and what's his name? The the guy that makes the movies. I can't believe his name is escaping me right now. Denzel Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. There oh. we go. <laughs> they, they both uh, you know married and and procreated with white women, and they do a lot of great things in the black community with the art that they're putting out. I, I love their work, both respect um respectively, but in my opinion you can't be pro something like you, you can't be for, uh, you know, black economic growth and keeping wealth in the black community, um, growing the black community, but appropriating with a different race. It, it's like, it's mixing oil and water. It's, it's, it's not equally. So I think obviously there's levels to pro blackness, but I don't think you can be fully pro black. I love Jordan Peele and Donald Glover's work respectfully. Uh, I, I think they do great black art um, and, and shining light on, on black experiences. It's great. But I don't think that you can be fully pro-black and still procreate with a white woman or a white man simply because you can't believe in um, keeping wealth in the black community, um, economic growth, uh, the further advancement or success of the black community, but still procreate with another race. It just doesn't really add up. And it seems like mixing oil with water. 
Okay. I think who you choose to marry is like, it's also a political decision, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you're marrying into someone's like culture, into their family, and you're telling everyone how you feel about uh, a certain situation. So as a black man marrying a white woman, you're already telling me that you you don't care too much about advancing the black community. You, you might care about what we go through, but you, you literally can't be fully pro-black. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not gonna argue on that. Um, so if, if marriage and family is an aspiration to you, or, yeah. or you know, how would you feel if your children decided to marry outside of their race? How well, you, I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to judge my, my children, honestly. I, I could disagree with it and not okay. judge them. Like, if I have gay children, I'm not going to be, like, mad at them for dating about the same sex, you know. Um, I would hope I would instill my same values into my children if that happens one day. Um, as, a, as a parent, I think it's important. But I also notice that, like, as children, we tend to do the opposite of what, what our parents want us to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're beating your children every day. You tell them, try to beat the gay out of them. They, they're going to be gay. You know, yeah. you, know, you try to keep them in the house and tell them not to go anywhere. That child is like going to have kids first. You yeah. know, it, it, that's just how I feel like parenting works out sometimes. So I wouldn't be like mad at my kids, but I'd also be in the back of my mind, like, damn, you know, our, our black lineage might be stopping soon in the back of my mind. You look at, some like Jackson family photos or like Diana Ross's family photos or even Muhammad Ali, right, who's very pro-black. It's like two generations later. You feel like it's whitewashed? I don't want to use that term whitewashed. Don't put that in my mouth. Um, but, no, no, uh, I'm just, I mean, I'm not putting it in your mouth. Just, yeah. <laughs> I feel like two generations later, that family isn't really black anymore. And, and look yeah. at all that black wealth that that family had, right? The Jacksons, uh, Diana, um, Diana Ross and, and her mom and, and Muhammad Ali that wealth isn't going to black children anymore. That Those mm-hmm. estates aren't going to black children anymore. And if, if you want us to succeed, right, if you actually are pro-black, in the back, like in your conscious mind, you, you would not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, both, both of my parents are homeowners, right? And I'm saving up now to like purchase my own house. And either way, if God forbid one of them passes away, you know, some of those homes are, going to pass down to me regardless um and we already know that black home ownership is not a huge thing in this country you know it's it's not like the most prevalent thing and i want to expand that some more so i would i would hope that you know my kids choose to marry black but at the same time i'm not going to like judge them or dis disown them because they chose differently mm-hmm. and you make it you bring up an interesting point about like the rosses and the the jacksons and the ali's um I, I want, photos, yeah i i know and when i think about their family photos i'm thinking like wow okay yeah that it has lightened over generations but i i'm curious to know if they identify as black because if they do then yeah. that is that is still keeping the black wealth that is, that is still keeping that generational wealth for sure I, I would i would hope they do i think um being black it's it's not only how you look you know physically it's, it's also a mental thing are you psychologically black you know are you psychologically african because uh, i feel like kids that grow up in that experience you know um 
I think Catherine, you brought up Kim Kardashian. Like kids that grow up like that, you know, they're they're mixed. Most of the time they're around white people. They go to private schools or around rich people. They live in Calabasas where there's not many black people. Like they're gonna grow up with a very white experience um, opposed to a black experience. And they're gonna probably identify more with black people. I mean, with white people. And just based on geographic reasoning of where they live, where they go to school, they're probably gonna procreate with white people. I mean, it's just how things are gonna happen um, logically. So yeah they can they can identify as black but i mean just based on the way that they they live and they grew up they're probably going to procreate with more white people and that's going to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle down um, mm-hmm. the whole idea of like biracial and mixed i think Catherine brought this up earlier too that that's more of a recent thing you know um, a, a century ago if or even less than that if you were half black you know you were just black um but that Unfortunately, that's not the way people look at things or think about things right now. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, before because I know Bridget, you're going to say something about that, but I think that it really just speaks to just the inclusivity of making sure that everyone feels, um, you know, seen and accounted for. Because, yeah. like Catherine, you're saying, ten years ago, there wasn't an other multiracial um, box to check off on the ethnicity like chart. It was like you had you literally had that one moment to choose if you were going to identify as white or black, and depending on how you identified, your the results of whatever it was that you were writing out could shake out differently. Like maybe your name is very white passing to me, so if I'm pretty sure if you applied for a job and they saw Catherine B, I'm not gonna say your last name, pulling up, they're like, oh. Who this girl right here with the with the colorful dreads? And oh, that's uh-uh. happened. And then once I walk <laughs> in the building, they're like, "We got bamboozled." <laughs> like, oh, wait, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that that that's happened to me too. I uh-huh. I, I kind of want to hear some more of your experience about that, Catherine, because I feel like I've gone through the same thing. Uh, my last name is French, um, coming from a Saint Lucian um, background, mm-hmm. so I feel like some people see me and they see the locks or or just the locks on top of my head, um, and see my skin tone and they get surprised and the interview goes a little awkward awkwardly yeah yeah let's let's pause on that because i want bridget i want you to get your thought out i know you're gonna say something yeah i mean johnny bring up some such great points Uh, i feel like we could like talk all day but um well my last name is you know pretty long and it's Ghanaian. so when they be seeing my name on the jobs they're like (laughs) they know it's how it is (laughs) she might have an irish lap first name but we know we know um (laughs) I kind of wanted to just like touch upon some of the topics that you brought up, but it kind of, I'm still thinking about the whole pro-Black thing because some of these conversations we have about pro-Blackness to me sometimes correlates with like white folks wanting to keep their race like pure, which they've been wanting to do for so long and have also failed because, you know, we have seen from the dawn of time, you know, um, that we have been procreating and mixing races and ethnicities for so long. It's yeah. in our, you know, it's in within our human race to to create. The only reason we have so many different ethnicities is because we have been creating for so long. But it, specifically in, in, in America, we put a lot of laws and sanctions against that. And we've seen what that's done to a lot of our Black men. We've seen what that's done to our Black women. And I think it does hurt you know, black folks during this time to look at what happened and what the US did, 
for a black man like rest in peace Emmett Till for being around a white lady when they're mm-hmm. what they're really afraid of was protecting their race. So sometimes when I hear pro blackness to me, it kind of insinuates this this idea that we can't be open to and I'm not just talking about white folks. I'm talking about every other race and ethnicity out there. Sometimes I feel like we can't we're telling our community that you can't be open to other experiences and other backgrounds. And my my goal and my hope for my future kids is to continue to have that open mind that you can date anyone and they will love you. Unfortunately, like if you're dating someone out, outside your race, they're never going to get your experience. And that I think is one of the hardest parts about interracial relationships is the constant communication and the constant under, constant understanding that, that that person will never fully get your experience. And that might be a bit frustrating and might, you know, have a wedge in your relationship. But there's a study that was that was done eight years ago that by 2060, 60% of the folks in the world are going to be non-white. They're going to be mostly multi-ethnic. So this whole like pro-blackness, procreation, that's not stopping because at the end of the day, if you're biracial and you're mixed with black, you're black. Mm-hmm. You're a nigga. Like you're black. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see you as black and you will forever be black. But I understand your sentiment of like looking at these pictures from like the Jackson vibes, like Paris. I I looked at Paris Jackson to me looks like a white lady. And I think it's hard for black people like myself to be like, yo, this is Michael's daughter and right. she's even black. Where is her fro? That is hard for me to see, and I totally understand that sentiment. But outside of just the three of us talking and the four of us like all together, the the expansion of multi-ethnic people in this world is drastically going. Now, that's if we have a planet, because you know, this is a right. to work on it. But we're moving towards a more diverse planet. And I think that for me, in order for me to see a world that is accepting which is going to take a long time. My hope is that we are more open, but but also being critical of our partners, yeah. right? Like Catherine said, where are you in this conversation with your partner? Just like Kanye West, are you insinuating and having these conversations and uh, appropriating and, and allowing your partner appropriate? Are you doing that or are you having these conversations? Are they going to be an ally? I think there's a walking line that I hope people can see, but I get that interracial relationships, even to this day, are are actually taboo, you know, more so than I think Johnny being against, I think interracial relationships are still taboo. It's only been, what, 53 years? Mm-hmm. The Virginia case that interracial marriage is, uh, can be acceptable. Right. I'm fully aware that, you know, it still is something that people aren't comfortable with, but, you know, in 2060, 60% of folks ain't going to be white. Mm-hmm. And that's why these white lawmakers are trying so hard to pass these laws around abortion and just all these things that I think that they're, like I said before, trying to purify their race. But Can, can I speak on that? Yeah. You know, Bridget, you brought up an interesting point about, you know, the country being a lot more diverse um, in another, like, you know, 40 years or so. And, and obviously, it's definitely trending that way. But I really feel like Black people are the only ones that are, like, totally okay with that. I feel like the 
most African Americans are the only ones that are like really cool with um, dating outside of our race or procreating outside of our race, opposed to like most white people or conservative white person, they, they want to keep it in their, you know, family. Uh, Asians, definitely, they don't assimilate. The Jewish community, um, who's predominantly white, they don't assimilate. Um, most Latinos definitely date Latinos. And um, when, when it comes to Black people, it's like we get offended or something when we just want to keep it Black. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm trying to sell a home, and it's my home, and I want to keep this home in the Black family, and I sell it to a Black woman instead of a a white male, it it's not necessarily racism, just probably nepotism, which is the world is full of nepotism, and that, that, nothing you could do about it. But I just wanted to say I feel like it, it, like we're the only people that's like really okay with that is like expanding and, and and just like diluting our family tree. But other cultures they really like even Catherine. I know your dad is Italian, but like Italians don't typically do that. I, I I've never heard of that before. Italians they like to keep it Italian, uh, or at least keep it white from what I know. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, Italians are pretty open when it comes to dating outside their race, um, more so because they're looked at as a black sheep of the white community. So yeah, you will typically true. see more Italians with Spanish, black. It's pretty um, familiar. Okay. What I was going to ask, too, is I wonder if African Americans are more open to interracial dating because they tie their value. They, they think the other doesn't want them. So like black women feeling like black men don't want them and black men feeling I, I think so. vice versa. That's like, we, we're in our own conundrum where like, if we literally had an honest conversation with one another about like, no, lit stop letting society tell you that I don't want you, that I don't find you attractive. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what it is, Simone. That's my opinion. Um, I don't know how the others feel. Yeah. I mean, I think it could be both because at the end of the day, like, I tried dating within my race and I got met with a lot of no's. I just got met with a lot of like, you're not black enough, you know? And that's very hard to hear as like a black woman who is yeah. trying to understand and love herself. So I feel like, yeah, that could be a part of it is like, okay, well, if you're not going to accept me, then I know that there's other wonderful people that will. Obviously, I will always fight for you and, I'll, and I'm forever going to be black. And I'm going to be part of the community, but there are other folks who are willing to show me that love and care that you don't want to give me. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily like a, like a, oh, well now I feel better because like, you know, this ethnicity loves me. At the end of the day, interracial dating is hard. Yeah. It, on top of figuring out your own relationship basics, cause that's already hard. Yeah. Figure <laughs> out how to fucking work with all these different- How to coexist with someone else. Period. And the family- doesn't understand you and your culture. Mm -hmm. The families might not like each other. Yeah. Your friends might not like each other. Hell, society don't even like you. So it's like, right. it's kind of hard, you know, to choose to want to go into interracial interrelation, girl, whatever. Interracial relationships. I know. It's, right. It's hard going wanting to go into one because you know exactly that it's going to be hard. Right. So I think most people try within their race first because they know you're that that black person that is going to is going to know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. you know? And it also has a lot to do with your upbringing, too, in your community, who you're surrounded by. Like me growing up, I grew up around a whole bunch of white people that in my graduating class, it was literally 500 graduate graduates. I was one of five black folks. There were no black men. Mm -hmm. 
It's crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I grew up in a very Caribbean black neighborhood. So I kind of like all I saw was just um, Latino and, and, mm-hmm. and black people. That's all I went to school with. So like I, I didn't really, I wasn't really exposed to white people until I went to college or until yeah. I got into the, to the workforce. Yeah. No, it's, it's so, it's so interesting. Um, but I, I also too, I want to talk about, um, you know, this idea of like being okay with, with other black people dating outside of your race without like putting down like your preference. So I want to talk about preferences because I know what also ends up happening a lot in our black community is you can say like, and maybe it might not even be outside of your race, but it can be like a a colorist issue of, oh, I only date women that are Catherine's color or lighter than that. Or like, oh, she got to be like Lupita cute brown, whatever, you know, like, so I just, I kind of want to talk about like preferences and how you feel about um, sharing your preference and then hearing from other your other black and brown peers about their preferences. Anyone who want to start? I'm sorry. Can you can you repeat the question again? I kind of zoned out. Oh, it's okay. So no, I was asking about um, preferences, your preference, and how you feel about your black and brown peers sharing their preference, especially when it comes to oh, I I like. I only like light-skinned men or I only want to date dark-skinned yeah. women. I feel like whenever you you only and you single out and you say, I only date, you know, this kind, I I, I think that's your colorism showing. And I think um, it kind of becomes fetishized at that point. Um, I think Catherine brought up the Kardashians. I think they fetishize dark-skinned black men. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's okay if you want to be a part of that. Like, there's not much you could do. Um but I don't think there's anything wrong with having preferences. If you want to preferably date tall men, if you want to preferably date a uh, bigger woman, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think once you single out and you say, I, you know, only, I'm only going to date this type of color or skin tone, um, I think that's your colorism jumping out. And you need mm-hmm. to unlearn that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually agree with Johnny. I think... I think having a preference is actually normal. I think as human, sure. you have a preference for a lot of, you have a preference of what you eat, of how you wear, and you have a preference of who you want to like procreate with. Like genetics wise, you look at somebody and they're like, they're taller, they're shorter, they're this or that, this is going to make great babies, period, boom. Um, that's usually something that's done more on the physiology level that we can't see. But in a more case, like having a preference that is, that you use against other races and ethnicities, that's my problem. Mm-hmm. For me, where I've seen that is I most recently saw a tweet, hello Twitter, where <laughs> this um, uh, black man was like, oh, you know, y'all don't love your chocolate women. And I was like, cute, let me look through this tweet. I forget this, uh, the young lady's name, but she's this like dark skinned influencer, but she has the tiniest waist and the biggest ass and the whole comments were so interesting because i love reading the drama and it was talking about how a lot of like uh particularly like black men only like dark-skinned women if they have that particular attribute Mm -hmm. um and there was another tweet that i had seen that y'all i know y'all remember where it was like white women do it better oh my god my problem is when i see and this is not just black i'm using them as an example because they're in my community is that when i'm seeing folks like well i'm dating you know this white woman because she's way better than black women because black women are aggressive and black women are loud and that's my problem but if you say like 
you know, in my community, I only, you know, uh, lived with white women or whatever. And that's, that's who I see my life with. And okay, then it is what it is. That's the truth. The moment you start pitying this group against the other, mm-hmm. that is my problem. Because now this preference has turned into a battle. And who mm-hmm. invited themselves into this battle? And nobody want to be here for that battle. Right, exactly. <laughs> I definitely agree with the way that Bridget and Johnny have spoke about it. It's the way that you go about your preference that isn't damaging to somebody else. If you prefer tall women, cool, I'm short, we're not going to work. I prefer tall men. Why? Because I'm short. Like, I need someone to help grab something on the top shelf. Right. And that's my preference. And that's all I need them for. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't mean that I'm going to diminish shorter men. It doesn't mean that I'm going to diminish men that aren't Black. It doesn't. And I feel like we don't realize how damaging those words are because we carry that for a really long time. We don't feel desirable. We feel like no one's going to love us or we will start retreating elsewhere because we haven't been accepted here. So that's what we're thinking. And then now when we're presented with someone who is the polar opposite of what we've always thought, it's going to take so much more time to open up to them because of these preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as we begin to wrap up, I wanted you to leave the audience with your stance. Like say, let, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Give your argumentative stance on why people should be okay with how you feel about interracial dating. Okay, I guess I'll go first in the spirit of the presidential de- debate, vice presidential debate. <laughs> yeah. um, I personally think that interracial dating allows for a more open opportunity to learn more about different cultures, to learn about yourself, to share your own culture, and to really kind of gravitate towards this, um, for me, beautiful um, world where we see more of a multi-ethnic community and we see more people accepting of other folks because we have more people that share different ethnicities and share the same ethnicity. So for me, if you want to be an interracial relationship, try it out, meet someone outside of your race, get to know them. And if you feel comfortable and you love them, that's beautiful. And if not, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Go on to the next one. Love that. Thank you, Bridget. Catherine, did you want to go? So I want people to be okay with my stance because growing up in a multiracial household, being a product of multiracial um, relationship, if we're not acceptant of it, I wouldn't be here. If we weren't acceptant of it, Barack Obama wouldn't have been our president. However, I do want more black men and the same thing with black women. If you are in an interracial relationship, remember what race you are at your core, remember who you are when you step out when you step outside. Remember who you are when you're perceived when you step outside, and never diminish where you come from and where your heritage is, especially in today's society when race is at the forefront and we're basically in a whole new civil war. Always mm-hmm. keep your partners accountable, correct your partners, and have those hard conversations with your partner. I don't believe in, I don't see color, color is blind. You have to see color, especially today, and you have to Mm -hmm. understand each color. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. And last but not least, Johnny. Um, Wise words from everyone. You definitely got to see color. I appreciate that. Um, I would hope people agree with me that if you're Black, um, first I want to clarify Interracial dating might might be okay, but I, I am against. <laughs> it's it's a, I, like I said, I had a quick casual 
thing with a white woman. So, uh-huh. um, but interracial marriage or interracial procreation, uh, I'm I'm against, um, simply because you know you should marry someone who's shared uh, the same experiences and struggles as you as a black man or black woman. Um, me personally, I'm not interested in uh, fully on teaching um, a white person how to unlearn and um, re-educating them on some of the things that I might have went through or could possibly go through. Um, I think you should date someone who could um, already relate to that. Um, I, I personally think if you are for the advancement and the growth of um, Black ec- economic success, um, Black people as a whole, you would choose to procreate with your own race. Um, and I think that Black women are great. Oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Black women are great. And I think if we all just gave each other a chance and chose to let go of some of that self-hate, um, we would see that um, we can do great things together. And I'll leave it at that. Amen. I love that. Well, this has yeah. been Johnny said find him at his Twitter. Right, right. <laughs> black men, his DMs is open. Or not black men, black women, whatever you say. You see, my However. <laughs> Johnny Jean J O H N N Y J E A N. Right. Following me, I don't talk too much, but when it comes to things like this, I gotta speak up. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for joining us here. This has been such a great conversation. I'm so grateful for you all. Thank you for being open and honest and transparent about your experiences. I'm glad we had civil discourse around this because, you know, I want to, it wasn't a debate. We wasn't going to have a heated conversation, but I think you all were able to respectfully, um, you know, share your, your thoughts and respect everyone else's opinions as well. So Thank you. So yeah, I mean, um, I know you just dropped your social, Johnny, um, Catherine, Bridget. If y'all can just you know drop your social one more time for the audience before we head out, that'd be great. Yeah, you can find me at I am Bridget with two E's on Twitter, on Instagram, and actually Tumblr. And you can find me on Spotify with all of those handles. Hello. Yes. And you can find me on Instagram at BlackmenCry2, T-O-O, as well as at RetroBarbie92. Yes, thank you so much. And you know I'm your host, Via Simone. You can find me on Instagram via V-I-A dot Simone, S-I-M-O-N-E. You can find me on, in, on Twitter, actually, via Simone underscore. And make sure you follow the Bonnets and Durags podcast page on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Bonnets, Durags, no and. Okay. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great night. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah.